Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Special VanCast for you, the VIPs, and a special VanCast for us here, Drancer, as, look, the only thing I think that we love talking about more than the Vancouver Canucks, especially after a masterclass performance from Elias Pettersson and a 5-2 win over Vegas to even their series, the only thing we like talking more about than the Canucks is ourselves, and look, it's our pod- <laughs> it, it's our podcast, right? It's our podcast, yep. so uh, I think we're going to take a sec here to pat ourselves on the back. Uh, this is our 100th episode. <laughs> this is the 100th episode of our podcast. Now, people that have been there Crazy. since day one, they know that this isn't the 100th van cast because uh, the first six or eight or ten were Nox casts. That's way back then. And then we had the name changed. <laughs> a, na- but... <laughs> a name that better sort of worked for manscaping. That's true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but this is our 100th. And really, when you think about that, like when you think about what we've been it's doing crazy, here, pumping man. out two pods a week for four months when the world was spinning and hockey wasn't being played, and now we're going three times a week when hockey matters most, and look, the VIPs have demanded it, and so that's what we're here for, and we thank each and every one of you. Like The support's been great. Like, we wouldn't be here without the support of the listeners. Podcasts don't fly if people aren't listening, and so, you know... I, I Look, I didn't know. I mean, I've known you for a while, and and after Botch's passing, I didn't know what I was going to do. I loved podcasting with him, and it's a great format, but I didn't know if I was going to jump right back in, and and then you arrived on the scene and took over the beat, and we talked about it, and I'm thrilled that we've been able to, you know, carve our own path. Like, I, I didn't want to replicate the podcast. That was that, and this is our thing, and I think we've had fun doing it out on the road uh, when the team was traveling, and obviously you're out on the road again but uh, to put a hundred of these things together over the past really eleven months, uh, an accomplishment, and our thanks to Jeff Demet, our producer, who uh, works hard behind yeah. the scenes as well. So shout out to him. But uh, uh, congrats to you, and a congrats to me 
for getting a hundred of these things done. <laughs> no, can, it, honestly, it's wild to think too. Like we've recorded episodes in you know Chicago, Dallas, uh, all over North America, and then all of a sudden we did it remotely, and we've been doing it remotely now for six months. It's like this podcast's had sort of three phases. The Nuxcast phase, where everyone said our name sounded like Nutsack. <laughs> and just at the time, just by the time I was really attached to it, we were asked to change it. And then the Vancast era on the road, and then the Vancast era through quarantine. I think they'll call that the Name That Canuck era. Uh, and now we're in the Vroom era. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I loved seeing it. Like, we had like four or five of our listeners answer Vroom, uh, give us that Vroom review on, on Apple. Uh, we love you guys. We love that stuff. We love the Vroom gifts. We love the uh, chicken jokes. Did you, did you see that one guy who photoshopped the <laughs> chicken leg into a harmonica? Yes, that was perfect. Oh, <laughs> God, you guys are the best. I love that. I, honestly, I was crying laughing in the arena last night. Watching, and I'm going to find this Twitter user and give them a shout out. I I wish I'd been prepared with that just because it was so good. And, you know, we love you guys. Like, thanks. This, because of the feedback we get, because of you guys, we are happy to always, uh, to do with this extra episode during this playoffs. And, and it's been honestly so much fun. Just the feedback loop, the, uh, opportunity to work and, and joke around with you and rant about things with you, Jeff. Uh, look, I've loved it. It's been, a really good part of you know my nearly first year I'll, I'll have been at the athletic for a full year in seven days so it's a, a lot of milestones here over the next week um but the the van cast's been an absolute highlight and the fact that we're on 100 following an epic canucks victory like a surprising surprisingly good performance too from the team but but elias Pettersson doing that thing you know i we've sort of kept talking about it like Pedersen's been putting up these points quietly, right? He's been subtly contributing. There was nothing subtle about last night. That, for me, was Elias Pedersen's first career FU takeover a playoff game performance, and I think we're going to remember it in Vancouver for a long, long time. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that's a signature moment from him. The assist on his first shift of the night, uh, the assist that he gets on the power play goal. Uh, He has a breakaway. He hits a crossbar. And Robin Lehner is still spinning in his crease trying to figure out where Pedersen went on, you know, and it wasn't just the goal. It was such a massive goal for the Canucks because the Golden Knights were coming, right? Like 22-7 in that second period of the shots. They had 51 shot attempts in the second period alone. (laughs) And it just felt like the Canucks were doing everything they could just to get out of the period, right? Get to the room two to one and... Take your chances, but I don't know what a third period was going to look like if the second period had looked like that and Vegas was only down a goal. And so for who else, Elias Pettersson, to step up in that moment to take the Edler pass in one motion. Like, the the deke is incredible, but really when you look at the way that he receives the pass with the puck behind him Mm -hmm. and in one motion is able to pull it up, you know, corral it, pull it up, and then go into the deke seamlessly. Like, we know. Like, we've watched this guy for two years. He's got skill for days, but there are moments within games, and that was a game that they had to have, and for their best players to step up, led by Elias Pettersson, I'm with you. Like, you know, we've kind of joked about this fact that all season he's kind of been underappreciated in some ways, uh, even in this Vancouver market. Like, there have been times where we thought, like, he wasn't getting enough run and enough love, 
Uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't think that's the case this morning as we record this after his signature moment, maybe in the NHL to this point. Yeah, a hundred percent. Look, Elias Pettersson's Vancouver's best player, you know, and and I don't feel like that's been sort of noted enough, uh, frankly, right? Like Jacob Markstrom was their MVP this season, right? Quinn Hughes is unbelievable. Like Quinn Hughes is superhuman. Quinn Hughes might be the t- sort of player, even though he's had two quiet games, where like he's a he's an NHL staple, not just a Vancouver Canucks staple. If that makes sense, like like think about five six years down the line, like one of those guys who seems like an NHL, like a figure that belongs to the league. Like that's how good Quinn Hughes might be. Obviously, we know what JT Miller did this season, but man, Elias Pettersson's this team's best player. Like he is, he, he was all season. And he was last night. And and he was last night. Like, that first goal was awesome for, for so many reasons. But I, particularly because Stasny did that thing that Vegas has been doing with Pedersen and, and with Hughes to some extent where he charged him in the neutral zone, like uh, tried to intimidate him. And Pedersen just sped up and skated by him. And, and then he dusted Theodore on the wall, right? Smeagled by him, as, as Jim Houston might say. Then he Then he turns that he never looks at fully it's a no look pass it looks like a wraparound attempt if you fooled pierre Maguire on the u.s broadcast right pierre Maguire was like he missed his wraparound attempt <laughs> and there were some fans in my mentions getting upset about it there's no way that's a wraparound attempt by the way you might think it if it's a normal human being but this is not a normal human being this is elias Pettersson. things work in slow motion and an awful lot of what he put into that goal was him having seen vegas now right having seen the pace, having heard them talk, having worked through that mentally. He knows he has to be that extra little bit deceptive. He knows he can't. He knows if someone's charging at him, he's got to speed up. Like, he's already adjusting. I'm not saying he's figured out an opponent like Vegas. You you don't figure out an opponent like Vegas. Uh, Do your best. But he's already adjusting to some of what Vegas brings and he's already finding ways not not just to produce, not just to survive, but to win. And and for me, that's the measure of a potentially great player. I don't think there's any debate that that's what Elias Pettersson is. Well, it's funny because I thought maybe his underrated and uh, somewhat understated moment of the night was the breakaway where he turns and looks and Shea Theodore is closing on him and he still is able to get the backhand and tries to slip it through uh, Robin Lehner, and I, I checked on Twitter because I was curious to see sort of if there were people out there that thought or that didn't understand fully what he was doing. And sure enough, there were people in Vegas that were like, he heard footsteps, you know, and, and that's why he didn't score. And yet we have seen this before. And I think back to his rookie season in Detroit where he does the over the shoulder, you know, checks the clock to see how much time is left before absolutely ripping one home uh, in the dying seconds of one of the period. Like, that's just his awareness. He didn't hear footsteps. He was checking to see how much time and space he had, you know, in order (laughs) to do the move. If he scores, like, it's just another one that you put on that long list of incredible plays. Still, the, the fact that he's got that awareness in real time to do a shoulder check to figure out, you know, what he's up against. I, I don't think it had anything to do with him hearing Shea Theodore's footsteps on that play. No, no, I don't either. And and the other moment that I noted was he takes that shot in the second period. It deflects off of one of the Golden Knights' sticks and sort of does the one of those weird bouncers where you 
honestly almost feel sorry for a goaltender just because it's like there's nothing you can do. Like it bounces down, hits the ice, comes up, hits right off the crossbar, right? And Pedersen's gentle head shake, like, oh, man. (laughs) But it lasted a second, and then he went back to being steely as fuck, right? Just completely unperturbed that in a 2-1 game at that point, he'd hit a crossbar. You know, that would have been a huge goal. And and it was like, eh, you know, didn't get that one. Uh, whatever. Back to back to the drawing board. And then, of course, he made it 3-1 with a, you know, one of those, one of those goals where, I, and I think you ran it down perfectly. Like, that pass is not easy to control. He controls it and makes it look easy, right? Like, he, he does an insanely wide deke in slow motion like it's in slow motion it seems to unfold and he's right in the heart of the Vegas defense uh just incredible stuff just an incredible ruthless steely uh, I don't care what he said post game I think he had a statement to make to Vegas I, I don't think it's that he was necessarily like mad about the chirping I just think he wanted to prove that he's a force to be reckoned with respected in this series and he's done that <laughs> there's no question about it after what he what he put on the show he put on in Edmonton last night and so we've got ourselves a series now and and look after game one there was a lot of doom and gloom because the Golden Knights were the better team but you know I think one thing we've learned about this Canucks team throughout the season you know I'll go back to Dallas you mentioned Dallas off the top uh oh Dallas and Pecan Lodge and uh what was the Mexican place we ate at? Anyways, that's uh, we had some good meals in Dallas, but but the Canucks got shelled in Dallas, right? Remember the start of that six game road trip? They lost six <laughs> yes, to one. They were terrible, and then they bounced back and they score five power play goals in Nashville the following game, and they won. And uh, you know there are other instances throughout the season where this group has shown this ability to bounce back, and they did it after game one against Minnesota. So you know if you're writing the Canucks off, you're doing it at your own peril. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're going to you know, springboard off this win and, and now run the table on Vegas. Like This series is far from over, but the fact that the Canucks rose up with that kind of performance and announced their arrival, like I think it's fair to say we've got ourselves a series now, and that's all you want. Like Nobody wants a one-sided you know, blowout fest. Like That's no, not much fun. Uh, it's certainly not fun for the fan base if you're on the, the wrong end of the scoreline. So uh, good on the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, we could do an entire podcast on Pedersen's night. And I know you and Harm, if people haven't seen it, it's posted now. Uh, you get into great detail some of the things we talked about, but uh, you go beyond that as well uh, with lots of video clips of just the kind of night it was for Elias Pedersen. But there are so many storylines that I, I want to move on. And obviously, Toffoli's return to the lineup was huge. And, you know, just him being in the lineup gives the Canucks that balance that we talked about when they made the trade, that when everybody is healthy... You know, you got two legitimate top six scoring lines for the Vancouver Canucks. And so, you know, his presence there, he's in, Louis out. Like, <laughs> immediately, yeah. you're more excited about the potential for the Vancouver Canucks. But look, getting back to the playoffs after being out for three weeks, like, there's no guarantee you're going to find your hands, that you're going to find the speed of the game. And so, you know, for me, that was maybe the most encouraging thing was that Toffoli scores on his first shift, then he's in on the next two goals, and he's back. Like, you know, if the Canucks, if you want to make arguments about why the Canucks ultimately can beat Vegas, you know, they just added this top six piece that generates offense and he's not worrying about when is he going to be able to contribute. Like, he made an immediate impact. And so, you know, in terms of his confidence level, like that should be through the roof now and there wouldn't be any lingering doubts about, you know, how he can have an impact on this series. Yeah. (laughs) You know, 
I do wonder how much it helps to be staring for like, you know, not quite a second, but the better part of a second at a completely open net (laughs) with a puck on your tape on your very first shift in terms of getting back into it. Like, it's got to help a lot, right? I think that first goal has to have given to Foley that just that extra jump, that extra confidence that you probably need coming back after the type of injury he dealt with where he can't get a ton of cardio. So, look, he was great. And and that pass to Bo for the second goal, I mean, that's exactly what they missed from Toffoli. Toffoli's puck movement from that down low spot just changes the complexion of the Vancouver power play, makes them so much more dangerous. And, yeah, Toffoli was a huge ad, a huge ad. I didn't want to tweet this because it was mean, but but uh, you know we're we're fam- we're family here. The VanCast is family. But yes. After after the Toffoli goal, the one nothing Toffoli goal, I did text a contact and I just said, you know, this is too mean. This is too mean, so I'm not going to put it out there on Twitter. Just uh, I feel bad about it. But Louie wouldn't have scored that. <laughs> and I don't really believe that. But I kind of believe that. It would have been on Louis' backhand. It would have been a hard pass to receive, right? Yeah. I mean, no, like, the, his stick would have exploded, right? Something comical would have gone on. That's, well, he wouldn't have been at the he wouldn't have been at the back post. Like you would have been assuming his right. defensive posture out at the blue line to to counter the counterattack. Like, honestly, I, I don't know yes. that Louis would have been in a scoring position given, you know, his role on that line and, and if he was playing on that line. So you know what? Like, there is yeah. some truth to that. Mean or not, I think there is an element of truth. To the, he probably wouldn't have totally. been in the right spot to score that goal. Well, and, and and we all know what happens when Louis has a prime scoring chance. That's like, true. his stick literally blows up or, you know, <laughs> something something slapstick occurs. That's just where Louis's at at this point in his career. And that's to take nothing away from the master of, of warm milk and comfort, who we all know has been an essential part of Vancouver winning two, two rounds to this point in the playoffs. But, I, I, you know, I did think that. I did think that. And especially with the way that the Canucks are using their lines right now against Vegas. And they didn't change it up too much despite the game one result. I think that's a pretty clear indication that Travis wasn't bullshitting when he said, we just need to play better, right? There's there, This was not the transition for the Canucks from game four to game five of the St. Louis series where they sort of went kitchen sink mode and tried all sorts of weird things tactically to answer Ryan O'Reilly. This was a pretty simple approach. And so Bo Horvat's playing toughs with Miller and, and Besser. And that means Pedersen's playing that Stasny line and the tuck line. Uh, I guess it's Nicholas. Is it Roy or Wah? You're the radio guy. It is Wah. I think. Wah, okay. Yeah. I hope so. I think so. So, Wah and Stasny, those those two lines. Those are lines where you need Pedersen to drive some goal differential if you're going to come out ahead in this series because Bo Horvat, Miller, Rock Besser, all great players. I don't actually think we expect them to outscore the Stasny, uh, sorry, the Carlson Stone Pacioretty line at five on five in this series, right? So, you need Pedersen to do damage in those minutes. And, you know, trust asking Pedersen, I think to drive goal differential with Tanner Pearson, a guy he spent, you know, 60 minutes with all season, and, and Louis Erickson, as great as Pedersen can be, that's too big an ask. Like, he needs more help. And Toffoli's the perfect answer to that sort of question for Vancouver. 
Uh, it, it, he showed it last night. And, and what was the story that there was some speculation that the Canucks were playing games with Toffoli and his sticks on the on the rack that we got the camera shot? Yeah, yeah, no. So, do you remember with Alex Edler coming back into the lineup for Game Six? I I tweeted that photo where I was like, "Hey, look, they're doing video testing. Here's the here's the shot from." You know, the TV, like the closed circuit arena television showing Edler's stick on the ice. And, you know, I added, you know, he'll play because I like to lean into great calls in, in Canucks past. I think I've made 18, you know, he'll play jokes. I've, I've made more, you know, he'll play jokes this playoffs, J-Pat, than I've tweeted fucking rights. And I've tweeted fucking <laughs> rights an awful lot. So, <laughs> so to fully stick on the rack was placed behind the rack and the goalie sticks were placed on top of it. So they'd set up the, the, the stick rack so as to avoid detection by the media by the, the, and there's a lot of us who do this and not me because I can't, I'm, I'm not an Eagle. I can't make out <laughs> sticks from the distance that I'm at, but the TV cameras, the TV guys go through it. The photographers go through it and they just do a quick lineup check. Like that's what, that's what people do. And I think after the Edler tweet, my guess is, Green sort of became aware of it. And so he hit it. You know, Green, oh, well, this is another thing. This is another detail now, right, that I that I have to be aware of. Like, okay, I'll master that. That sounds good. That's just, like, classic, you know. I, I, the camera, a source from the truck showed me the, the image before Rob had it. And I just laughed at it you know, tipped off Murph and, and we were laughing about it. And it was just one of those like, oh, Travis, oh, Travis moments. <laughs> and by the way, I do want to let our listeners know too, Green was wearing the, the blue tie that I suspect is the crisis tie. Right, you've mentioned. Down one. Yeah, you've pointed this out on the pod before. And, and so you think that yes. was that was the tie last night. That's that's the tie. And and makes sense. You know, he's only worn it when he was down and he's only his second time he's worn it during the playoffs. He wore it during the regular season a couple of times, like enough that I began to think that's the crisis tie. Right. When there were games that you just felt there. And look, there've been a there've been a weird amount of them for the Canucks. Right. Considering how. I think we'd both describe most of this Canucks season as smooth sailing or, or the team exceeding expectations along the way, but there have been a lot of crisis moments as they've gone, right? There was the, I think really the first one was the Vegas win in early December, or not mi- early December, right before Christmas, on the 21st, right? Yeah, the 21st, I call it Mary Chris t because he scored the OT winner, and that was the first one, like he wore it there. After the Florida trip, uh, you know, after the Columbus loss, you know, like in these moments, I just kept seeing the tie sort of reappear and I always look for superstition and patterns and he wore it after the game one loss to Minnesota for game two. We all know what the scrutiny was like at that moment. And he wore it again after game one against Vegas. He wore it in game two versus Vegas. So that is now the crisis tie when the Canucks are down in a series that tie comes out. I haven't asked him because I don't think he'd appreciate it, but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. I feel very good about that blue tie being Travis Green's crisis tie. And see, that's why the VanCast is the market leader. That's why we have done this 100 episodes now. You're not going to get that insight anywhere else 
uh, right down to the tie review of the head coach. The Canucks, <laughs> the Canucks have cut into Vegas's lead. Uh, Drancher, you know what won't cut into anything? Manscapes what? lawnmower 3.0. <laughs> the lawnmower 3.0. Vroom. It's waterproof. It includes an LED light. It's made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates, and nobody wants that. And you can get this trimmer inside the Perfect Package 3.0, which includes the Crop Preserver, Deodorant, the Crop Reviver, Toning Spray, both super practical, and they smell great too. So that's an added bonus for you. Uh, And best of all, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20 and they will take care of you. Tell Drancer, or tell them that Drancer sent you. Hey, I want to ask you a little (laughs) bit about the non-call that could have been an absolute turning point. Not only in the hockey game, but I, I think in the series. And, you know, I got into it on the post game show. The Canucks won, so ultimately it wasn't a big deal. But, you know, we talk about on-ice officials. We watched the NHL sort of meltdown last year uh, with the call in that Vegas-San Jose Game 7. And, you know, the solution was right there. Like a quick video review by somebody in the war room and a phone call to the on-ice officials to get it right. And, you know, Vegas had just scored. It's a 2-1 hockey game. Besser gets called for delay a game when the puck clearly hits the glass. We all saw the replays. The officials didn't get that benefit, but they got to get that right. Like, they have to. It's just such a bad look on the National Hockey League, and if they continue to turn up, like, that could be instituted today. Like, they could get together and say, you know what? We're going to let somebody call down, and by the time Brock Besser got to the penalty box, they could have had that thing sorted out. So, uh, you know, it kind of gets swept under the rug because the Canucks win the game, but... Man, like that could have turned the game in Vegas' favor. If Vegas ends up winning the game, they're up 2-0 in that series. Like The Canucks may not have recovered from a power play goal in that instance, so credit to the penalty killers and Jacob Markstrom for getting the job done. But, man, that was a penalty that they shouldn't have had to kill. Kelly! Yes. Kelly, what are you doing, Kelly? <laughs> Richmond's Kelly Sutherland. Richmond's Kelly Sutherland, the only guy who might get booed at the... Like hometown. So when referees retire, they get a game in their hometown, right? Yes. That's sort of yeah. the how it goes. And they get recognized for a moment. The players usually come and shake all their hands. Kelly Sutherland might be the only guy in history who gets booed. <laughs> but look, Kelly Sutherland is on Canucks fans' radars for a 2013 boarding call that he made from the other end of the ice against Daniel Sedin. Yes. Daniel Sedin, Kelly Sutherland is probably the only person over the course of a 20-year NHL career that we ever saw Daniel Sedin cuss out. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And there were years, there were years in which Sutherland was never assigned Vancouver Canucks games in the wake of that. Like, there were years. And, you know, the NHL doesn't comment on officiating, right? There's Referees are not made available to a pool reporter postgame. There is no system like the NBA uh, of, you know, direct accountability for, for what occurs involving official officials and officiating. So, you know, all we can do is read between the lines of game assignments. Sutherland's one that there's been a lot to read into over the years. Now, I actually feel really bad for him. I, I grinded him on Twitter. I sent him a very mean tweet about how... The problem for the Canucks was that Kelly Sutherland was only 10 feet away from the play, and we all know he does his best work from 100 feet. 
uh, <laughs> that that was just a reference to 2013, uh, and that was just me being an absolute jackass. Uh, the fact is that I feel sorry, I feel bad for referees in that situation, and I think the puck over glass delay of game rule puts them in a really bad spot, especially because it's not reviewable. It's a quick play; you have to make the decision on the spot, and then you can't review it while the Canucks bench yells at you because it's very apparent that it bounced off the glass, and then they show it in building. And it's very apparent that it bounced off the glass, and you just kind of have to wear that mistake. I mean, that sucks. Like, that sucks. I genuinely understand how you could miss it without the benefit of slow motion. I genuinely think it puts referees in a bad spot. And I do wonder if that's something the league should discuss, because we don't want a goal or a play like that dictating the outcome of a game, especially when the replay's up on the Jumbotron. You know, Green green in the Canucks bench... so. Vegas calls the penalty, right? Vegas, oh, oh, over the, over the glass. You can hear it in their building. And immediately, Jacob Markstrom, and, and goalies are, are like this. You know how Cheech always catches deflections on the broadcast? It's exactly like that. And Markstrom's the guy who immediately is yelling, you're right there. It hit the glass. You're right there. <laughs> and, and then... Green sees it on the monitor, and the whole Canucks bench starts pointing. And I'm sure they caught some of this on broadcast. But Green's gesturing downward at the officials. It, it hit the glass, like, gesturing at the glass, uh, the glass on the on the floor of the bench. And I actually feel bad. I actually feel bad for the ref. I think that's a tough call to make in real time. And the fact that you can't review it or take a minute, you just have to confer with your associate, and and you know. Steve Kazari is on the other side of the rink. Like, he has no idea. That's not one you can get any help on. I actually felt bad for Kelly Sutherland in that moment, which takes a lot of doing. <laughs> you, were, you, were, you were full of mean tweets last night, apparently. But, uh, I showed, was. Showed I some was. discretion uh, at, at times, some, but not well, on others. Because Louis, Louis deserves better. Kelly Sutherland doesn't. It's really simple. <laughs> hey, when you talk about deserving better, uh, like... I'm not sure that Vegas deserved better. I mean, they, they carried play in the second period. But, you know, I say this all the time. Like, one of my favorite things about playoff hockey is the adjustments. The team that loses has to make adjustments. The Canucks did. Their best players rose up. Uh, Travis Green and the coaching staff, you know, I'm sure they played a hand in uh, some of the adjustments as well. And, and getting Tyler Toffoli back was a big adjustment. And now it swings back to Vegas. And I, I think... You know, Peter DeBoer probably has a decision to make in goal. I would suspect that they don't yank Robin Lanner after one bad game, despite all of the drama that's going on. But man, like there's so many rich layers to the goaltending situation now in Vegas that, you know, I'll be fascinated to see where that one goes. But, you know, that Vegas team last night didn't look like the Vegas team from game one. And I give the credit, you know, give some of the credit to the Canucks. Like they did what they had to do. They forced the issue early. They got the lead. Ryan Reeves barely played. Like Ryan Reeves is a non-factor. Uh, because he doesn't play when the, the Vegas Golden Knights are trailing. But, you know, we've seen it. Like, we've seen it in the series. They've got speed. They've got scoring depth. I think Max Pacioretty has 28 shot attempts in two games. And he scored and in both... It feels like it's shortchanging him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he scored once in each game. I mean, last night the power play goal is inconsequential late, but 15 shot attempts for Pacioretty last night after a dozen or 13 in, in game number one. You know, William Carlson has been relatively quiet, you know, that he's capable of rising up uh, on any given night. So, 
you know, I just love the fact that there's a series here, and I would expect that you're going to see more of Game 1 Vegas in Game Number 3, and it's the Canucks that are going to have to be prepared to, you know, to withstand an, an early push. But that's the beauty of playoff hockey, is that the Canucks, with their performance in Game 2, you know, they've announced their arrival in this series, they've shown Vegas that it's game on, and that they're up for a fight, and, you know, now we'll see how this thing plays out here over the next week or so. Now... This is sort of breaking news that I'm about to throw at you, and maybe you saw it before the podcast because it looks like it happened about 35 minutes ago. But you know how in hockey, and this is a classic tradition, a player has a lower body injury and it's not a big deal, and then the season ends and it's like he's literally – he literally had his leg amputated. You know, like the the injury – when when play is still going on and a player is playing through it, it's nothing. And then at the end it's like he had four fractured ribs and a you know non-displaced – fracture in his knee and on and on we've got the COVID-19 version of it as St. Louis Blues general manager this is the team that the Canucks just defeated Doug Armstrong told reporters today that 20 percent of the Blues roster had COVID-19 prior to phase three of the return to play program we all know that the Blues facility was shuttered in phase two and he said that it affected their fitness levels throughout games uh, phase phase three and phase four uh, just figured I'd bring that up as as just sort of a, a thing to keep in mind, you know, that we've talked a lot about how some of the outcomes that we're going to see here are shaped by factors well beyond anything we've ever seen in this sport. I think that's a really good example of it. And, you know, uh, not that that's the reason that the Blues didn't win that series. I, I think they they played well, right? Like they it's not like they looked behind the eight ball in that series, especially when they were, you know, throttling the Canucks physically in games one and two and, and on the scoreboard in games three and four. But um, I did just want to bring that up as, you know, a, a key a key fact and a key reminder of some of the stakes and some of the factors at play in the NHL this playoff season. Right. And also, we learned today that Vladimir Tarasenko is going to go under the knife again for that shoulder. And, and you know, that's too bad. I mean, he's one of the great goal scorers in the NHL, and it was clear that he wasn't right. And, you know, he wanted to try to help his team, but uh, nowhere close to 100%. And, and now the word uh, today is the Blues sort of wrapped up their season that uh, Tarasenko is going to require more shoulder surgery. So who knows when next season starts. But uh, again, he's you know going to be facing an uphill battle just to get uh, to full health. So the Canucks took care of the Blues. And, you know, now they're in this battle with the Vegas Golden Knights. we got to take one more quick break. Thomas and I will be back right after this message. All right, as we wrap up this 100th episode of the VanCast, I know that you've been worked up. You were worked up during the game last night. Uh, you've been worked up, too, about uh, Zoom calls. And, you know, I this have. is the reality that we live in. And we've touched on this before. It's not ideal. It's not. Uh, it's far from ideal. Let's be honest. You get one question. You don't get a follow-up. It's so hard to kind of drill down if you fumble on your question. And I think we've all done that at some point, you know, or you don't articulate it the way that you have it in your head. You know, it allows the person on the other end to take the question any way they want, and there's no recourse. Like, you, you can't kind of set them straight and get them to answer the questions that you want. So it's been clumsy. You know, you guys in the building get an opportunity, and then they turn to those of us that aren't in the building. And so all these even you in the building, I mean, people. I'm not sure if people realize, like, you're doing it remotely too. It's not like you're any closer to these players at the podium than no. I am here in Vancouver. Uh, you've got to do it all through Zoom channels. I'm not in the room. Right. We're not in the room. Right. So right. I just, we're, we're 
several levels up. They're on event level. We're on the 300 level. I mean, it's a completely, I'm eight floors up. Yeah, you're right. We're not any closer. You could be closer if you were across the street than you are where we are. So no question. And yeah, the, so everyone's doing their best. I'd love a world where we could do follow-ups, right? But I understand that it gets a little long. And I think, especially when there were three games a day, the, the league wanted to get players out of the building. So you understand that. You hope that as the stakes go up, the length of availabilities sort of climbs. We've already seen the league mandate, you know, game day availabilities. I think that's a necessary and a good change. And a sign that we're still experimenting and working through and figuring out how this works best for everyone involved. Uh, and that patience is required. And what fires me up more, honestly, than the hostile... Like, there's nothing we can do about those environments being hostile and difficult. You know, I think about that Pedersen availability. Last night, Pedersen wasn't going to say anything in that environment. And fair enough. How much more do I get if I'm able to sidle up to him in a room? Man, a ton more. A ton more, for sure. But so it goes, and we'll write around it and adjust and, and... make it work nonetheless and we'll make it work by transcribing swears and taking different routes into the game and writing sort of heist movie scripts about Travis Green's weird line blenders and on and on like that's sort of the that's the game you adjust you figure it out and mostly I figured it out by not being on the zoom calls to be totally honest with you I'm not leaning on them at all but I'm annoyed by the way those Zoom calls are talked about by some of our media colleagues. And, and I notice that it's broadcasters often. Most often it's broadcasters being critical of it. And that makes sense to me because I think broadcasters, and you know, I'm not casting aspersions at you, J-Pat, and your, and your pitch-perfect radio voice here, but there is a precedence given to something that sounds clean, right? That a, a two-way exchange between interviewer and subject that sounds clean and that works from an audio perspective. But from a journalist, like a print journalist, or, or in my case, a digital journalist's view, I'm out of the story. I take myself out of the story. There's no advantage to me sounding polished. My only goal is to get a good reaction, an honest reaction, a good quote. And I sometimes do that by provoking guys. I sometimes do that by sounding stupid. You know, that's sort of the game. That's what I try to do. And on a Zoom call... The media asks questions, and I noticed, you know, Riccio criticized the guy who asked the John Tortorella question. The John Tortorella question was completely fair, and Tortorella decided to walk out on that no matter what. That wasn't, it wasn't, un, maybe it was framed a little, a little bit clumsy, but it was a little bit, like, at the margins. I thought criticizing that guy when John Tortorella had been an absolutely unprofessional douche Uh, with the NHL siding with that sort of opinion and finding Tortorella appropriately for walking out on a press conference because he's a sore crybaby loser, is the right call. Like, the right call. And last night, you know, there was a a sort of a critical thing about media who are reacting too much to the chirps on the ice as if it's new and they've just discovered it, uh, which is a little precious, but whatever. And the tweet was originally sent by John Keane and, Walker sort of called it cringeworthy, the reports from the rank and, and whatever. I don't, I don't care. The thing that actually upset me about the exchange was John Keane, who is the play-by-play guy, your, your not direct successor, but your two layers removed successor, uh, play-by-play guy for the Kamloops Blazers of the WHL, tweeted, you know, and the questions on these Zoom avails, like 
awful, right? And and I'm pretty confident that he was either referring to Derek Van Deest, who asked Pedersen, Horvat, uh, and Pedersen and Horvat about the chirping and the factor that that had played in the game, or me, who asked the question of Travis. But here's the thing. The reason I asked the question of Travis was not because I wanted to, to, to be totally honest with you, I'd already talked to Travis about it. I knew exactly what Travis was going to say. The reason I asked that question is that in that environment where we're up there, up top on the Zoom calls, we're in an order that can't be switched, right? So it's iMac, Derek, me, and then iMac gets a second one because it's good being the rights holder iMac leaves, so Derek goes first. Derek wants to ask about chirping, but it's after a playoff game. So me and Derek confer, and the agreement is made that Derek will ask a hockey question because it's bullshit to start a coach's availability after a big 5-2 comeback, you know, bounce-back playoff performance by being like, but what about that chirping, right? That's us being professional and courteous and trying to make sure that, you know, we're not sort of fishing for a storyline that is or isn't there in that environment. So we swap it up and I ask Derek's question on his behalf. The point is, is that we're all working together. We're all trying to make this work as best we can. The guy who you're saying asked a dumb question might've been doing something like that to make sure that it flowed professionally for everybody. And to criticize media in this environment when everyone's just doing their best, trying to work through it, trying to master a medium that will probably never work for decent player quotes, I just think it's complete bullshit. I think it's unprofessional, and I think it's indicative of people who are not doing the fucking job themselves. Like, if you're going to criticize how the media are handling questions on a Zoom call, come be on the fucking Zoom call and put on your masterclass in concise, game-focused, appropriate questions, or, you know, put in a masterclass on your wisdom of how NHL players talk on the ice. Like, Come fucking do it yourself. And if you're not doing it yourself, if you're not in those shoes, understand how difficult this is and just back the fuck off. Everyone's trying. That's my view of this. I just wanted to say it because it really upset me. And it's and it continues to upset me. This is a hard environment. I'm with you. And look, I know John a little bit. I don't know him well, but I'm not sure why he felt the need to throw darts in that situation. And I'm with you. Like... You know, he's just if, wrong. If these he's guys, wrong, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Right, and if these guys think it's easy, like sign up for an come on, account come and, do it. and log in, and let's see it. Let's see how it's supposed to be done. You know, the other thing is, you know, there is a natural rhythm to a scrum. If you're in a scrum, generally, you know, a guy will kind of get a few questions in and then turn it over to somebody else. And and with the coach and post games, you know, if we're in the room with Travis Green, same sort of thing. Travis will kind of look at you and get the sense of where he's expecting the next question to come from on these zooms like you don't know like all of a sudden it pops up on your screen like it's your turn right and i've been caught off guard there was one the other night where like i haven't led one of these zooms at all they've usually gone with a rights holder and i don't know why but all of a sudden like you know the unmute thing popped up on my screen I wasn't prepared for it. Like, honestly, it caught me off guard, right. but, you know, I was able, fortunately, to spit something out that got the conversation started. But these are unprecedented times. It's uncomfortable for us. Uh, it's probably uncomfortable for them, although the players seem to be adapting to it reasonably well, sitting, you know, sitting oh, at the I table. I think they love it. No, but I think I'm just, they love it. But it's uncomfortable too. Like they're sitting at a computer or sitting at a table for staring sure. into, into a computer. Like, that's not normal. And so I think they've adapted at the very least just to the actual execution of 
this dance that we do. So it's imperfect, and, and we're all just trying to roll with it. But you're right. Uh, for people to have the knives out, like, you got to Yeah, especially be people who do this. Yeah, especially the people who do this professionally. You know, we're all we're all trying, man. Yeah, we're all trying. You don't you don't really know what you're talking about. You know, you're if if you meant Derek, who was asking the chirp questions, the response he got out of Bo Horvat was by far the most interesting comment that was gleaned on that post game Zoom. So if you're going at Derek, you're wrong, and if you're going at me, then you don't actually know what's happening behind the scenes. Because I think anyone would agree that setting things up the way we did is the right call, the respectful call for the coach, and just the best for the overall, like, the people viewing on TV, radio stations picking it up. It all makes sense to have structured it the way we did. So to throw barbs in that situation just frustrates me because you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, John Keane. Well, and I'm glad that you brought up the fact that, like, look, there have been lots of times over my career where you'll throw a totally disposable question out there uh, I don't want to say you're setting a trap, but there is an element yeah, of... Yeah, you're tricking guys. Yeah. Yeah, like, I don't want it to sound so underhanded, but you're right. It's not at all about the question a lot of times. It's about the response. And so Hell I'll get yeah. people at me and, you know, what a stupid question. But like, I don't care if the question's stupid if I get the response that I'm looking for. And I, I totally subscribe to the theory that there are no dumb questions because you don't, you just don't know. You don't know what kind of answer you're going to get. The, the dumb questions are the ones that don't get asked. Like if you chicken out and you don't go in, you're not going to get a response at all. But there are times where you kind of have to play the role a little bit to try to produce the response that you're looking for. So there is an element of gamesmanship to it. There is certainly some thought. Like you don't go in blind in these things and... Uh, again, people on the outside probably don't understand that. I don't know if they really care, but I, I do think it's important because this is the access point now that we have, and it's not going away anytime in the bubble, and who knows uh, beyond this. So we may be stuck doing this dance for quite some time. All right, uh, we talked about the St. Louis Blues a little bit earlier. Uh, the Canucks obviously eliminated them. Jeremy Rutherford uh, welcomed St. Louis Blues radio analyst Joe Vitale as the two look back on the Blues season that came to an end. They didn't defend their crown and may make for some interesting listening to hear you know the st louis perspective of why the blues fell to the vancouver canucks so you may want to check out the we went blues podcast at the athletic uh we say this at the end of each and every vancast we've done it a hundred times and hopefully we'll do it a hundred more and maybe more than that too uh check out our <laughs> comment section for each podcast episode at the athletic app if you can Photoshop Drantz uh, eating chicken wings into anything, <laughs> including a harmonica, I am here for it all day. So keep those coming uh, by all means. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. Click on the website, theathletic.com slash thevancast to get 40% off your subscription. And we'll finish the way that we started with a hearty thank you to you, the VIPs, the listeners. Like We love talking hockey. That's our jobs. But the podcast format is so much fun. It allows us to go places that you can't on uh, radio. So uh, it's one of the beauties of this format. And we're nothing without people that check out the VanCast on the regulars. So uh, a massive thank you to each and every one of you that's checking us out here uh, on the VanCast. Yeah, and, and a special thank you to the those of you who've commented or reviewed our podcast with Vroom. I just want to give you guys all a shout out. Please continue. I love seeing the Vrooms. This is the Vroom cast now. Uh, <laughs> it's not really, but I still love the Vroom. And uh, and especially if you're making me a music man playing a harmonica, 
thank you thank you so much everybody and, and thanks for sticking with us over 100 episodes yeah and the proof is in the pudding i mean i check uh, our ratings on itunes all the time you know we are a single market a hyper focused podcast on one team and we hang with the big boys national podcast with massive marketing budgets and all sorts of promotional uh power behind them and here we are uh, a couple of guys with uh, the help of Jeff Demet, our producer behind the scenes, just cranking the stuff out uh, day after day after day. And again, we love doing it, and uh, it's just so uh, it's a thrill for us that you know we've found the support uh, in the audience that we have. So thank you again for uh, everybody. The hundredth episode of the Vancast here at the Athletic and the Athletic.com. Mm-hmm.